You're listening to iWolves, Season 7, Episode 10, Barking Up the Right Tree, Ian's new book. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Ian Dunbar and Jamie Dunbar. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. I'm here today, as usual, with my dad, Dr. Ian Dunbar, for a very special occasion. Today is the official publication date for Barking Up the Right Tree, The Science and Practice of Positive Dog Training, your new book. So first, let me say congratulations, Dad. Thank you, Jamie. I know this took a lot of work to put this together. <laughs> Seven decades of work, you might say. Um, yeah, I guess if you think of it that way. I uh-huh. mean, it, it really starts at the beginning with natural dog training in the fields on the farm. Yep. So yeah. to celebrate, I think we're going to be doing a series of very short, well, we'll see. Well, <laughs> yes, a series of interviews about many of the topics discussed in this book. And um, let's start with my first question. Uh, Tell me about the title of this book. Why did you call it Barking Up the Right Tree? What is the right tree? Well, I'll answer your first question first, since you asked two questions. And you know how I have to keep them in order. And how I can't be stopped. Question one. Why did you call this book? And this could take, this I can do very quickly. But you don't have to. You've got all the time in the world. That is true. My working title was barking up the wrong tree Mm -hmm. and I wanted it to be a positive book for how I think we should do things, how I thought dog training was going a little off track and it had lost its way and and so my publisher, bless his heart, said you want the book to be positive and so why is your title so negative negative, yeah so he said how about barking up the right tree and i thought yes you are so right and that really then made me adamant with the book i i actually had to hire an editor as we'll go through later and i said the number one thing you have to do is this book has to be the book has to be positive. Mm -hmm. It has to be looking forward, talking about, you know, easy, efficient ways to do things. If ever I come across as being holier than thou or high horse or putting people down or just downright angry, Mm -hmm. um, which I felt a lot. It was very upsetting for me to see um, what's been happening to dog training. I mean, I, I grew up in a space we're surrounded by animals on the farm where dogs were trained the natural way, all off leash. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I'm talking, you know, horses, cows, pigs, sheep, chickens. Right, not just dogs. Yeah, That's and right. they were trained by the voice. And I would watch my, my dad, my grandfather, and especially Mr. Brinklow on the farm. He worked on the farm his entire life. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, a, a good 70 years he worked on the farm. And he would change animals' behavior. He'd move them with his voice. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was instruction. And, of course, cows don't understand English when you start, but yeah. they learn the words, and it, it fascinated me. So that's how we got barking up the right tree. The so, second bit... So the answer to the first question is, you wanted to call it barking up the wrong tree. I did. But fortunately, your publisher... I was corrected. Yeah. And when I say the word corrected, I don't mean I got a leash jerk or anything aversive. Yeah. He very calmly explained to me, this would be a good suggestion, Ian. Uh-huh. 
and which is exactly how I say we should talk to dogs throughout the book. I have a suggestion. And you'll probably want to do it most of the time, mm -hmm. but occasionally not. And then I will very calmly explain to you, you have to. This is one of these few occasions when you must sit. Mm -hmm. You know, you're just dashing out the front door or you stepped off the sidewalk into the street. Mm -hmm. And so this is not now a suggestion. It is an instruction that must be followed. But we're both calm about this. There's no discussion. There's no argument. There's no debate even. You know, yeah. you will sit, and then I'll thank you, and then life continues as normal, where I suggest things. Yeah. The subtitle of the book um, wasn't my choice. That I have ever since I did research, mm -hmm. I hated subtitles, colons and semicolons. Uh, I don't think you can put out a nonfiction book without a subtitle. That's yeah. Part of the rules. Well, and papers. It suddenly changed. You, you had a title for yeah. a paper with big long words and, and stuff that were difficult for a lay person to understand. But then the colon came in or the semicolon. Yes. And, and it was always like, um, oh, what, you know, what should I call it? Cute bait. It's making this study, which is purely scientific. Hmm. So it's kind of the opposite of the way it works with books, um, where you've got the cute bait is the initial That's title, right. yeah. and then the explanation it, it, is yeah, the it's interesting. subtitle. So I always well, I made, like the subtitle. I know. Well, I, I never did, and I never had them. Yeah. And um, I, I, I was I only had them when the publisher decided if you want this book published, it's having a subtitle. Uh huh. So I didn't argue it much, but. I did question the word positive because when we say the word, oh, I'm a positive trainer, um, the word positive generally means I don't like using aversive stimuli and as far as possible, I don't use aversive stimuli. Um, I'm more interested in the definition of the word training. Mm -hmm. so it's all very well that you're nice and giving lots of food treats, but are you training the dog? And are you training the dog in the intended direction? And how quickly are you training the dog? Yeah. And so positive training has become a word now that other people are doing it wrong. And I would say, yeah, I don't see any reason ever to be aversive when we're um, training or educating, you know, animals or, or people. Um, but we should be teaching them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we could have a whole question on uh, define the word training because we always assume, like when we go to a professional, a doctor's a doctor, a trainer's a trainer. But if we were buying a, uh, a dishwasher or mm -hmm. a car, we would research it, the quality of it to, mm -hmm. to a huge extent. But doctor, we assume they're all the same. They aren't. If we take any profession in the world, and so we can pick the dog professions, you know, breeders, trainers, pet store personnel, veterinarians, yeah. uh, humane. And if we quantified their skill on any criterion, just pick one. So for doctors, the important one for me is diagnosis. Yeah. Do you know what's wrong with me? Yeah. Because today a lot of doctors can fix it. Um, and then we rank ordered them according to how well they did, like they did right. in exams at college. 50% of all professionals 
fall below the median by definition. Right. And so I wanted in the book to give owners a, an idea of how they can estimate whether this trainer, this veterinarian, this humane society mm -hmm. is above median or below median yeah. according to criteria that I come up with. Yeah. Okay. Let's go back to... That was uh, a lot about yeah. the title. Yeah. <laughs> we went into the subtitle. Never asked about the subtitle. <laughs> My big question now is, what is the right tree? Um, so, you know, that's the, the key part of the, the cute title. There's three things that I focus on in the book. Mm -hmm. The first is um, socialization. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is we can deal with behavior problems or train a dog, basic manners, any time in its life. Mm -hmm. Um, especially if we're doing it off-leash and using reward-based techniques and the reward training technique for the job. Okay. So I would use a variety of reward training techniques according to what I'm trying to teach. Mm -hmm. um, but if a dog has fears and anxieties, mm -hmm. um, it's much more time-consuming and difficult to resolve those the older the dog gets. Now, what people don't understand is why we should socialize and handle um, neonates. Mm -hmm. Starting in the first three weeks, um, the puppy can't um, see or hear people, but it can smell them. It knows mm -hmm. who they are and whether they know them or not. It mm -hmm. knows who are strangers and it can feel them. And that covers, I think, about 11 of the 13 most common subliminal bite stimuli. We uh -huh. can defuse them in ne neonatally mm -hmm. by just having lots and lots and lots of unfamiliar people handle, examine, stroke, and train the puppies. Mm -hmm. Now, I've been saying that now for a career that spanned 50-plus Years. I mean, it's embarrassing to to think I'm I'm in the very deep sunset years of my my career in dogs now, um, but it's still not being done. Yeah. The I, I know excellent breeders, you know, and excellent owners, and excellent of all dog professions, mm -hmm. but majority are not socialising puppies breeders. They're not bringing a hundred unfamiliar people, lots of men and lots of children, into the kennel to handle and socialize the dog. Yeah. And the pet stores and the uh, veterinarians, people who see yeah. eight-week-old puppies, are not promoting it and saying that this is absolutely vital for your puppies and yours qualities of life. Right. So why do I say that? Because it is normal, natural development for dogs to become increasingly wary of the unfamiliar the older they get. Mm -hmm. Makes great sense in the wild so that then cubs and, and puppies bond with their own kind in the den. Yeah. They're the only ones there. Yeah. But as they then explore more outside of the den, they naturally stay away from unfamiliar animals many of which could be very dangerous, right. especially humans, of course. Right. And so this is the natural way unless we intervene. And so, in essence, a domesticated animal is not fully domesticated 
until it's socialized. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the normal course of development, starting at about 18 weeks of age, yeah. the puppy will become increasingly wary, scared, and eventually aggressive towards unfamiliar people, other dogs, and places and situations. Right. So is socialization the right treat? Yeah, is that what this book is about? That's the first thing. The first, ah, okay. Yeah, the first. The second, I'll say this, the third, but I'll say it second, <laughs> is once we go to all this trouble to, one, socialize the dog, so he has a rock-solid temperament around all people and dogs, whether he knows them or not, and once we've trained them the right tree way, mm -hmm. wouldn't it be nice if they lived a long time? But the fact of the matter is, human life expectancy has doubled in the last hundred years. Mm -hmm. Dog life expectancy has decreased. Cat life expectancy has increased a bit because more cats are now indoor-only cats and they live longer than indoor-outdoor or outdoor cats because mm -hmm. there's less scary that's, uh, or, or dangerous indoors. And so we, anyone who's in the media, I, I did two interviews today already and I said, you know, radio and a, and a big Zoom, and I said, we are responsible for spreading the word to prospective and new puppy owners. They have a choice and they must change the dog professions. They should tell their vet, you know, you shouldn't have said, don't socialize your dog until he's had his shots. You should have said, before your dog's had his shots, you should socialize the dog safely in your home. Mm -hmm. Invite the people to your home. They should say to pet store owners, you know, you should have a new puppy owner package that says you must socialize because they see the puppies of eight weeks. Imagine if trainers saw puppies at eight weeks old. Every puppy in the world yeah. that goes to a vet clinic or a, or a pet store, it, there wouldn't be these problems. Yeah. So it's up to the pet professionals and for breeders, they can actually do it. Mm -hmm. And once the general public realizes, then they're in the driving seat. It's all about supply and demand, and it's no good breeding all these puppies if no one wants to buy a puppy that hasn't been socialized or house-trained or tutoy-trained or manners-trained before it's eight weeks old. Okay. They don't want to have a puppy that's unsocialized and therefore naturally will become more wary and one that pees and poops everywhere and chews everything and yeah. won't come when cool. So what is the second branch of the right tree then? That breeders must selectively breed for longevity and it's owners who will convince them to do this because they will ask mm -hmm. i need to see how old the male dogs were when they were bred because mm -hmm. they were bred at two less than three and on most pedigrees the male dogs are less than three years old it's too early to check their genotype mm -hmm. let's say a dog wins at crafts or westminster and then his stud card is full for the next two years then he dies of cancer at five. Mm -hmm. Whoa, look what he's done to the breed now. And that's why so many breeds, they won't mention them, it's all of them, are dying much too young. And let's go through our dogs. Omaha, the first love of my life, died at five. Hugo, seven. Zuzu, the total and final doggy love of my life, died at eight. There's no reason why all dogs, any breed, any size, shouldn't live to be at least 10 or 15. Bobby, bless his heart, just died 31 years old. 
And I think when we go to this trouble to raising, breeding, raising a dog properly, and it gets to know us. So we don't give any requests or commands anymore. We just live and the dog's right there. Well, wouldn't it be nice if now we could enjoy, you know, those sunset years for another five, seven, ten years. Yeah. So that's the second bit of the right tree. The bulk of the book is about <clears throat> we had to do two things in training. Immediately, we must teach dogs ESL, English as a second language. Mm -hmm. So we can give clear instructions. So when we say Rover come and Rover sit, he has the remotest idea of what we want him to do. So we don't get in this old command correct phrase silliness. Mm -hmm. Command, he doesn't know what it means. So correct him. And then why are we praising now when he didn't do it and you corrected him? I think it's because we're guilty because we just jerked him. Uh -huh. It doesn't make sense. So we must teach ESL so dogs know what we want them to do. <clears throat> and then, of course, we motivate them from the max using really powerful rewards, not just a food treat or the same old treat every time. Yeah. But more importantly, why do we teach ESL? So when dogs err, when they forget their manners, when they go off stray or they find something more interesting over there, we can offer verbal guidance. Mm -hmm. We can say, I said, sit. That's all it takes. So that our training is absolutely non-aversive. And I always thought when the acronym LEMA came out, least invasive, minimally aversive, I thought least invasive was just wrong because I want to totally invade my dog's brain with better communication through words and joy and interactive games and doing things together. I want to totally change this dog that's living right. with me. Invasive seems like another word for interaction. Yeah, and but it put a bad spin on it. And I want right. the dog to be a reflection for me in the same way, you know, I wanted you to be a reflection of me, except <laughs> you turned out much, much better. Um, but also minimally aversive, obviously, sounded like a cop-out. Mm -hmm. Why be aversive at all? I think the term being aversive, using aversive stimuli, or saying I'll be minimally aversive, means you get to a point in training when you don't know what to do. So in this book, I said, look, Here's a lot of totally non-aversive options where you will use your voice only without even raising it. And this is where I put in lots of examples of how dogs do this and how people do it. Like my grandpa was excellent at it. Mm -hmm. Our dog, that I actually wanted Zuzu on the cover, but we have this guy. I now love him. <laughs> For two reasons, you know, one, he's a red dog, and I've always liked red dogs, and two, he reminds me of Claude, yeah. who was the best corrector of bad behavior in dogs that I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And last night, I was reviewing his old videos, and I'm glad to say they're beautiful quality, which means we can use them, but he could correct the craziest, most mismannered of dogs, and you don't even know what he's doing. And I only saw what he was doing from watching the videos. It wasn't that he stared at the other dog. It wasn't that he looked at the other dog or that he froze. He would be sniffing and the other dogs acting up. 
he would stop sniffing. He didn't freeze, he just stopped sniffing. Didn't even raise his head. And it was like this dog had had an electric shock. Oh! And would lie down and sit. And I have videos of Claude with palpably doing nothing, training two crazy dogs I'm thinking of, a Malinois and a Pit Cross, mm -hmm. um, to sit, stay, down, stay, and stand, stay. In seconds. Yeah. And I thought, I think we can learn from that. And that was luckily what I grew up with with my dad and my grandpa. All right. Well, thank you very much, Dad. <laughs> you only asked about the title. <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> Wait till we get inside the book, folks. <laughs> There's more to come. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This is a happy day. I'm so happy today. Oh, good. Thanks for listening to iWolves, Season 7, Episode 10. Barking Up the Right Tree, Ian's new book. If you'd like to learn more about dog behavior and training, make sure to check out DunbarAcademy.com. And as always, thank you for listening.